What's up, walkers? This is Brett, and I'm here talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi on the Skywalk. Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Skywalk. Uh, Once again today, unfortunately, I am riding solo in the cockpit of the Falcon. Um, But anyways, I'm going to walk through some things here with you listeners because uh, everybody's just dying to talk about this movie. And some people are just dying because of this movie, of figurative death, hopefully, of disappointment and grief and anger and outrage and vitriol. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, our reactions um, as Skywalk members uh, to Star Wars The Last Jedi. And then we're also going to talk about the Internet's reaction and fandom's reaction to this movie. And it's very much divided. Uh, So that's what we're going to get into today. And I've pulled some quotes some articles, some interesting tidbits from here and there to kind of try to curate all of this information for you and present you with what I think are some really important takes. Obviously, uh, so much has been written and so much has been said about this movie already that it's very overwhelming. So I've kind of uh, called together some things that I think you'll find very interesting and hopefully help you settle on your feelings for Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, But before we get into that, Uh, Social meteors. That's what we call social media here on the Skywalk. It's also how people in the Massachusetts area tend to pronounce the word media, throw R's on the end of things. Uh, If you're looking to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, just search for The Skywalk. Sky as in sky, walk as in the thing you cook in, W-O-K. And please do leave us a review. Once again, even if it mirrors... Uh, your reaction to The Last Jedi, be it for better or worse, please do leave us a review. That's how other people find out about our podcast. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash SW over coffee. Twitter at SW over coffee. And on Podomatic, which just don't use Podomatic. I mean, seriously. But if you do, starwarsovercoffee.podomatic.com. I'll tell you this much now that we're getting into our topic. I love this movie. I had issues initially. Uh, Most of them have fallen away on repeated viewings. Um, Let me tell you about my last viewing. I took my daughter to see it for the third time. I asked her the night before, are you still down for this? Are you still wanting to go to see the movie for a third time tomorrow? And she looked at me like I was insane. How dare you ask me if I want to go again? No, seriously, what she said was, of course. And then, like, she was puzzled by this for a good 30 seconds and then turned to me again and was like, why, why did you ask me if I wanted to see it again? And I said, I, I don't know. I thought maybe you're just doing this for daddy, just trying to make me happy because you're a good kid. And she was like, no, this is the best movie ever. So anyway, take that for what you will. The reaction from the rest of uh, the people that you know and maybe love here on the Skywalk uh, has been mixed. So uh, there are those of us who are a little more tepid in our feelings toward this movie. But again, I love it. Um, So for starters, I think we can say that we were right about one thing, which is something we've said many times on this podcast, that good reviews do not a good Star Wars movie make in the eyes of many fans anyways. So the reviews for this movie, as you know, uh, they were 93 on Rotten Tomatoes for a while, critics' reviews. I think it's settled now at 92. But the fan reaction has been much more diverse. Uh, Some people are debating 
the fan score on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, because it's very low. And it's very rare to have this kind of disparity between what the critics feel about a movie and what the audience feels about a movie. But we've been telling you this for a long time, people. So you're wise to be here on the Skywalk because we share wisdom. Uh, We've been saying that for a long time. But there's also some debate over... Uh, you know, whether or not that audience review score is real or if it's just a bunch of Internet trolls submitting bad reviews. And sure enough, some of the statistics would seem to bear that out, showing that a lot of those reviews were posted by people who have never reviewed a movie, uh, never have given their audience score on Rotten Tomatoes before. A lot of those reviews have complaints about the diversity in the movie, suggesting that maybe there's some sort of prior political agenda that tainted their reaction to the movie. Um, I'm not going to try to comment definitively definitively on that at this point because the dust really hasn't settled. Um, There are other things, though, that suggest that fans are really digging this movie. And I can tell you as someone who's seen it three times already and can't wait to go again, that the reaction in the theater has been, I mean, it's audible. There have been two or three points during the movie Uh, where people cheer or gasp. Uh, Cheers typically coming during the fight sequence between Kylo, Ren, and the Praetorian Guard. Uh, Gasps coming when General Haldo, a.k.a. Laura Dern, blasts her uh, her ship through the entire First Order fleet. So the, the fans, if you just gauge it by the eyeball and the earball test... The reaction has been really good to this movie. So what is going on? Uh, Here's an interesting take from The Hollywood Reporter. Again, I've kind of pulled these little tidbits from here and there to help make sense of all of this. This one writer said, Fans expect shocking secrets in these films. But because some simply cannot wait to just go and enjoy the experience of the film when it opens, they try to outguess plot and twist from the onset. Now, I happen to agree that this is what happens a lot of times, and I've admitted on this podcast before that that was the mistake I made when watching The Force Awakens. I was trying to unravel everything before it happened, which is a huge mistake. Um, no one should do that. You should go to this movie. How, how on earth are they going to make the movie that you have in your mind? They can only make the movie that's in the director's mind, that's in the writer's mind. So, I don't know. Let us know what you think about that. Do you agree? Do you disagree? I, th- I think that that certainly covers a segment of the fan base that are disillusioned with Star Wars The Last Jedi. Probably a good amount of the people that are signing the online petition to have this movie removed from Star Wars canon, uh, a-, a lot of them, this might have been the problem. They-, they weren't happy with the reveals or the lack of plot twists that they might have expected to see. But let's take on one of the complaints. One of the, uh, in defense of Ryan Johnson... Now, myself, if you listened to our last episode, which was my knee-jerk, admittedly way too soon reaction to Star Wars The Last Jedi, I was one of those people saying, why couldn't they have just kept Luke alive? And why couldn't Luke have shown up in person to fight Kylo Ren? Why did he have to be projecting himself via the Force from across the universe? But notice what someone wrote on roosterteeth.com, not where I expected to find pearls of the last Jedi wisdom on the internet. But notice what he says about Luke uh, appearing as a projection instead of fighting Kylo Ren in person. It says, as Rose says, 
It's not about fighting someone you hate. It's about saving someone you love. That is what spawns true good in the galaxy. Here's the important part, people. Luke realized that at the end, and that's why he finally found the peace he's been seeking for years, and he found it in a way that doesn't put yet another black mark on Ben Solo's soul. Mic drop! Um, That's amazing. I had not thought about that when watching the movie, but it's exactly what Luke Skywalker tells him during that fight. He tells Kylo Ren, if you kill me now, I will always be with you just like your father. His father is the one that he killed in person, and that is haunting him. Snoke refers to that at the beginning of the movie uh, when he says that that act of killing Han Solo, uh, I forget exactly how he says it, but something like it split you to the core. It broke you so that Kylo is actually more fragile than ever now. Uh, Instead of making him stronger and more determined to follow the dark side, it actually made him more conflicted than ever. Um, So I thought that was brilliant. And the fact that Luke Skywalker now found a way to try to save, he said he couldn't save Kylo Ren, but in reality, he delayed him, allowing the, uh, the resistance to escape. But he also tried one last time to teach Kylo Ren a lesson and instead of letting him kill him the way Darth Vader presumably killed Obi-Wan Kenobi, he didn't kill him at all. So he didn't add to the burden of Kylo Ren's already hugely guilty conscience. And I think that's a beautiful thing and Ryan Johnson deserves a ton of credit uh, for coming at it from that angle and pulling something like that off. I think that's just, I just think it's brilliant. Um, One of the things that I've also heard people say in real life is that, uh, again, going back to the people who are are disappointed and actually angry about this movie, I've actually heard people say that Ryan Johnson doesn't care about these characters or even as far as to say he hates these characters as if this is some sort of Zack Snyder DC Superman thing where Zack Snyder clearly hates Superman, has no clue how Superman works. And I've heard people say that. Now, I get that um, some people disagree with how Luke Skywalker has been treated in this movie. And people have also pointed out that Mark Hamill disagrees with how Luke Skywalker was treated in this movie. He said that Jedi don't give up and that this isn't something that Luke Skywalker would do. But I will have you keep two things in mind. First of all, uh, Mark Hamill is barely a good actor. He's certainly not a great writer or director. So take that for what it's worth. I'm sure you might disagree with that. I'm sorry, but that's... He did a great job in this movie, though. I think his acting was phenomenal in this movie, no matter what anybody says. Uh, But also, keep in mind that Mark Hamill also tried to convince J.J. Abrams back in the day that Luke should turn to the dark side. So if you feel that Mark Hamill's opinion is the be-all, end-all for what should happen with uh, Luke Skywalker, I just urge you to bear that in mind, that if it was up to him, uh, Luke would have joined the dark side. Um, But talking about... Does Ryan Johnson hate these characters? Interesting nugget broke the other day. And this one about Jeffrey's favorite, Lando Calrissian. Okay. In terms of Lando, I briefly considered that he could work in the Benicio Del Toro part, uh, said Ryan Johnson. But you know why he didn't, people? Listen to what he says next. He says, I don't think you would ever buy that Lando would just completely betray the characters like that and have that level of moral ambiguity. Because we love Lando, 
and you'd come into it with that expectation. So why didn't he include Lando in the movie? Aside from his atrocious performance on Dancing with the Stars, because we love Lando too much to put him in a role that would basically revert his morals to where he was 30 years ago. Um, Ryan Johnson had too much respect for Lando's character to put him in that role. Now, again, I'm sure you might say, well, he should have found a better role for him, and that's true. But look, people, there are a lot of characters in this movie. Chewie barely gets any screen time. Uh, R2 gets maybe less screen time than anyone. And I know Lando's a human being and deserves more respect than that. He does. I don't, you know, for for all we know, uh, Billy D. Williams might not even be up for it. But anyways, um, also in defense of Ryan Johnson here. Okay, so clearly, people, I've gone off on a, on a in defense of Rai Rai tangent. I mean, I'm going to keep going. going to steer into this curve. Um, Ryan Johnson did J.J. Abrams so many favors in the way that he wrote this movie. Uh, and I've heard people say, I've heard people suggest that he was just like smacking uh, that he was just flying in the face of everything that J.J. Abrams had built up before. Uh, you know, from the second that Luke Skywalker tosses the lightsaber, that was Ryan Johnson rejecting J.J. Abrams' ending to The Force Awakens, um, to the way he discards Supreme Leader Snoke. It, that's, that's Ryan Johnson reacting to this character that he didn't even like, that J.J. Abrams created, and all these things that Ryan Johnson did supposedly being this, kind, this way of undoing everything that J.J. Abrams had done. But I would implore you to think about it completely the opposite way. For example, Luke closing himself off to the Force. What that does is explain one of the biggest mysteries of The Force Awakens that people had a problem with, which is, why didn't Luke come back? Why didn't Luke know all of this bad stuff was happening? Why didn't he show up in time to save Han Solo? And that's one of the things that Mark Hamill complained about himself. He said, I wish that Luke had been there when Han died. Um, but this explains that completely. In this movie, Luke was very surprised to find out that Han Solo had died. And then the second that he did reconnect to the Force, he was immediately uh, synced up again with Leia. And that's that scene where he says, Leia. And then she wakes, kind of not wakes up from her coma, but says, Luke. So that happened. And that explains why everything before that, Luke was completely out of the loop because he had disconnected himself um, from the force. So to me, there are a lot more instances of uh, things that Ryan Johnson did that explained the things that J.J. Abrams left in the air. Also in defense of Ryan Johnson, the Porgs. The Porgs, I, I've been admittedly pro-Porg since long before this movie came out, since the time we first saw Porgs. I had a lot of confidence that, uh, that uh, Ryan Johnson could make them not repeat the mistakes of Ewoks. And the general consensus, people don't seem bothered by the Porgs, and most people seem to really like them. What I really love about them, uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is seeing them inside the Millennium Falcon, kind of getting in Chewie's way. When they're doing that, they really remind me of the Gremlins. And I just think that's amazing. One of them's wearing a headset, and they're just causing all sorts of trouble. It seems like those are all actual porgs that are actually there. They're practical effects. They're not CG. And I think that's amazing. Having said all of this, in defense of Ryan Johnson, I still do have remaining issues. Um, speaking of practical effects versus CG, I still think there's way too much CG in this movie. I think there is way too much CG in Hollywood in general. I think that, um, you know, all of this stuff is complete 
nonsense and ridiculousness fantasy that happens in outer space a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And the reason that it still works is because no matter how ridiculous it is, it's real. So if you're taking a crazy fantastical concept and you're just CGing it or it's a cartoon or whatever, okay, whatever. But when you make it real, that's what I think was so magical about Star Wars when it came out, is that you're taking these insane fantastical scenarios, but but we're buying it because even if it's not a full-size Star Destroyer, it's a model. It's an actual real object in real physical space. Um, so I think that's a big problem here. The Maz Kanata thing, for example, is just egregious. And to say that that looks like a video game is an insult to video games. The Princess Leia thing, the Mary Poppins scene, uh, after giving this a lot of thought and just kind of watching the movie and letting it sink in, there's nothing illogical about Leia uh, being able to carry herself through space. I think it was just filmed wrong. I really do. I think it was filmed in such a corny way, for lack of a better word, um, that it really opened, they really opened themselves up for criticism by filming it that way. Uh, the fuel deal, that's a little bit hard to justify as well. Um, having the movie basically revolve around uh, a, a ship running out of fuel. Um, to me, this kind of plot device is sort of like drop shadow. Um, for anyone who's ever worked in graphic design or illustration, you know that in Photoshop and Illustrator and other programs, there's something called drop shadow. And that's one of those things that when you're trained in graphic design, you try to avoid it. It's a crutch. It's, uh, it's something where anytime you're tempted to use it, you should immediately tell yourself, you know what, let's try to find a more creative solution. Which brings me to, um, they just need more time to make these movies. I think that, um, you know, these things definitely hinder people's enjoyment of the movie, hinder people's ability to be immersed and just believe that this is all happening. But I think it's the best we can get on the Disney billionaire plan where everything has to be done in two years. It's simply not enough. Uh, even the prequels, each of those movies had three years, whether or not it was time well spent by George Lucas. But in the original trilogy, those three years were certainly well spent. And for the first one, for A New Hope, it was really gestating with George Lucas for a lot longer than three years. Uh, he was working through this. He was revising, making new drafts of this for years before making A New Hope. And this, this new trilogy is essentially a reboot, I hate to use that word, in the sense of, you know, you're bringing it back to life. And it's a lot harder uh, because they had to come up with a new visual style and they, they kind of had to come up with all this stuff from scratch. And to think that that could be done in such a short turnaround, I think was unrealistic. So I think as long as we're on the billionaire plan of two-year turnarounds for Star Wars movies, people are going to have problems. There are going to be issues. There are going to be plot devices that are very weak, but they didn't have time to come up with anything better. So I think uh, no matter what your opinion is of Star Wars The Last Jedi, we all have a choice to make, and this was really crystallized very well by Ryan Waniata of digitaltrends.com. Again, I scoured the internet, people. I made it all the way out to the Outer Rim, and I found some real gems, and I think this is really nicely worded. I'm going to read you what he said. He says, as I watched this moment in the theater on opening night, master and pupil meeting again after all this time, I was starkly aware that I had two choices. 
I could keep my distance and be analytical, or give in to this unabashed manipulation of my emotions, this call to the utmost depths of my Star Wars nostalgia at the foundations of my very being, steeped in the potent flavors of my childhood memories. I chose the latter, and I never looked back. On that note, thank you for listening to this episode of The Skywalk. Once again, this is Brett, and I'm just talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi on The Skywalk.